0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens Code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com.
2: This week on Meet and 3, I'm about to go on maternity leave. This is Katie Mosman-Wadler, and before I leave you in the incredibly capable hands of Team HRN, we're rounding out Season 5 with a deep dive into the food rules, weird cravings, and overall hype about eating while pregnant.
0: There are a lot of safe foods to eat, and we shouldn't be sort of assuming that just because something is raw that it's dangerous.
2: I just found myself feeling like... There was an alien piloting my body and brain, and uh, totally changed the way that I ate. So, was it the eggplant? Sure. Why not? I just don't know. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and Three anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'll be back soon with our newest and tiniest producer in tow. Today, I'm speaking with Lauren Brill, founder and CEO of Sweet Lauren's, known for its delicious, clean-label, place-and-bake cookie dough. With a full lineup that is, and there are a lot of things I'm about to read, gluten-free, vegan, dairy-free, non-GMO, nut-free, soy-free, 100% whole grain, and kosher, (laughs) Sweet Lauren's is a gift for people with food allergies or sensitivities or just for people who have sort of more... um, I guess, evolving lifestyles. Um, this was a huge year for Lauren. Sweet Lauren's ranked 114 on Inc.'s 500 for 2019. Lauren was chosen as one of Inc.'s 2019 Female Founders 100. And the cookie dough can now be found in around 10,000 stores, um, including Publix, Kroger, Stop and Shop, all the Big Mamas, Fresh Market, Wegmans, Meijer, um, and many, many other supermarkets. I think Last week, you were on the Rachel Ray Show. Yes. Um, So it's been a big...
3: It's been busy. Yeah, it's been
2: busy. <laughs> so I'm lucky I got you. I'm thrilled to meet you. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I'm the most excited that you're here is because I hear so many founders saying, oh, they're killing it. Such an overnight success. Ugh, ugh, uh. And I just kind of want to make the point that being an overnight success can take years. Eight years. Yeah. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and so before we get into sort of you know everything, um, tell me a little bit. I, I mean, I know that your background and your history and your life story definitely influenced your decision to start your company. But as a little kid, um, where did you grow up? What were you like?
3: Were you entrepreneurial? Did you love baking? I'm going to nibble on a cookie while you, while you answer. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So I grew up in New York City on the Upper West Side, 87th and Broadway. And I grew up with an older brother and a younger sister. So our house was always, you know, busy and hectic. And both our parents were entrepreneurs. Mm. So um, I grew up just... You know, my role models were never kind of having a conventional lifestyle. right? Were they food people or no? Definitely not. Um, There's no food people in my family, but we were um, a foodie family in the sense that family dinner was very important. Um, My mom, who's very liberal, kind of let us do whatever we wanted, just had a couple strict rules like family dinner. That's like me. (laughs) There's always going to be salad at dinner. Um, It was... Like once or twice a year, we were allowed McDonald's. You know, as little kids, we like loved the idea of fast food, but we were never really allowed it. No soda in the house. right? Um, So, and my parents were always very supportive of just experimenting or dreaming big and having a positive impact on the world. And so I think subconsciously, that's just, those were my role models. That's how I was raised. And so um, I think that's just in my genes as well.
2: And in terms of baking, was it your happy place or were you like, it didn't
3: No, feature
2: I, that much it in your didn't, life?
3: You know, I think it's funny when I look back, it's like, My mom loved cooking. Like, I always heard that my mom was a great cook and loved baking, like when my parents met. But the truth is, from what I remember growing up, she was just so busy all the time. She would come home and, you know, she never... She barely had time to make dinner. Right. Um, So, you know, I think baking, though, for me... Was maybe something that maybe I missed when, from my childhood. Yeah. Um, my grandparents passed away when I was really young, so I didn't have that. Like, oh, I always used to bake with yeah. my grandma or something, and. Um, I kind of, even though I'm the middle child, I kind of became the older sibling in a certain way, and mm-hmm. so I was always the one like I made chocolate chip pancakes for my brother right. and sister on the weekends, and yeah. I would reheat. It became the food. your way of like nurturing people and telling them you love them, exactly, and taking care of exactly, people. yeah. And I also think um, I'm a creative person, and it was it's always been my creative outlet, right? I think for a lot of people, it's
2: funny because I grew up in New York too. Oh, I'm cool. older than you, I think, and my mom not only didn't have time to cook, but sort of made it a little bit of a point that she was coming out of a generation where women had sort of like fought for their right not to have to cook. And so um, it that sort of like those moments, and it was very place and bake. I remember when we would quote unquote make cookies, mm-hmm we would get the tube and slice it mm-hmm. and like put it on the thing and yeah. she'd be like, voila, right. you know, like that was so, <laughs> I baked. you know, we baked. <laughs> um, but I do think that there's something, there's something to it. Like when you're as the child of that, mm-hmm. I think you start looking at food as like a, bonding thing and a connective thing it, it, that they never really, you know, our parents' generation
3: did not have that. Totally. So much. No, I see what you're saying. I think my grandmother, actually, my mom's mom was, um, she had four children. Mm-hmm. My mom was, you know, the, the youngest and her, she had three older boys. Uh-huh. So I can, and she was a stay at home mom. And so I yep. can only imagine kind of like the stress and frustration she went through. Yep. Um, and feeding actually, everyone. Yeah, yeah, just taking care of the house and feeding everyone. And, the second all the kids went off to college, she actually went to Le Cordon Bleu in uh-huh. Paris and, oh, wow. and did like a cooking class right. at school for herself because I think that was always her passion and she never got to really explore because right. she just was being a busy mom. Yeah. Um, but my mom was always food to her was a celebration. It yeah. was, and she always wanted delicious, high quality food and fresh food, and um, you know, I just it was, it was always a way to celebrate life. And, you know, like my my best memories of childhood are like huge Thanksgiving dinners and, you know, with our whole extended family and cousins and everything. And so.
2: So nice. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then you went to um, USC. Yes. And what did you think you wanted to
3: be? So I just have always been an adventurer and loved experiences. And so the second I got to USC, my original thought was, I'll, I'll go to business school because I've always been... Did you? Yeah. Did, in, I've always been interested in business. Right. I mean, even when I was young, like 10 years old, right. again, I think because I looked up to my mom when she would ask me, what do you want for your birthday? I, I remember like just a being obsessed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I remember being obsessed with like look I had a desk in my room. Yeah. You know, at the age of ten, what do you do with a desk? But I had a desk in my room and I just remember being like, I want all the things to organize the desk. Yeah. So like I know, was super into my desk. Okay. That's exactly. So yeah. I really remember that. But when I got to USC, I was like, oh, I'll I'll do business. But then I also wanted to study abroad for a whole year. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't do both at right. USC. So I thought, I'll get my MBA after. Right. And I'll use undergrad to explore. Right. And so um, I did communications because mm-hmm. I've always thought that was really important. And um, I also... Did an emphasis in fine arts, and so I painted, and that way I could um, study abroad. I did one semester in Florence and one in Amsterdam, and had the time of my life. Amazing! And did you go straight into get an MBA? No, okay, um, because life happened. So two months after I graduated USC, I was actually going to plan on moving to LA because I grew up in New York and I was just ready for a change. Right. But I came home for the summer, really to pack up my bag, spend time with my mom and sister. And a week before my plane ticket, like I literally bought a plane ticket, was moving back to LA. I woke up one morning and the lymph nodes in my neck were incredibly swollen Mm -hmm. and it felt weird. And my mom made me go to her doctor immediately. And unfortunately, my mom had a type of cancer. And so I went to her oncologist. Oh, wow. And he told me to cancel my plane ticket and that we needed to do testing. And yeah. um, it was either nothing at all or Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, which is the most common cancer in young adults. Yeah. They don't know why you get it. And um, it took a month of testing to figure out what was wrong wow. uh, because nothing showed up in my blood work and yeah. I really had no, no other symptoms. Right. And um, I was diagnosed with stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma and had to start um, six months of chemo immediately. Wow. Yeah. Uh. It was... It and you were crazy. 22. I was 22 years old.
2: And a chemo with all of the things that come with chemo.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was, I never fully lost all my hair, but I definitely had very thin hair. I, yeah. I lost a lot of weight. I was, I was so weak. No, I've always, always been yeah. an athlete right. and I really didn't have that strength anymore. And um, I basically spent the first two months um, feeling like, what it's like to be just so depressed yeah. and hitting rock bottom, which I'd never felt in my life before. Yeah. I always had so much energy and love for life and yeah. and I was excited about the future and I didn't even know if I was gonna have a future and yeah. it was just so scary. And after that two months, I just got so sick of feeling sick. sick. Yeah. And my doctor um, really only talked about the medicine and so I just, I've always done yoga and intuitively just the mind-body connection and healthy food has always been just very natural to me, but I'd never yeah. really gone deep into it. So I just said, I'm committed to doing everything I can to get healthy. And I started to take, like, study nutrition. Right. And take cooking classes because I was like, I'm going to heal myself in every way. Yep. And, and this was – you were in New York and you were doing that, right? Yes. And then um, – How long did it take to get fully recovered? After a year, I was cured. Okay. So I was totally cured. Um, Thankfully, yeah. there is a cure. Yeah. And it—you know I responded really well to it. And I think because I was eating really healthily yep. and um, doing a lot of just meditation and yoga and just making sure like mind and body, I was yeah. just staying as positive as possible – Um, My doctor, you know, would say to me, you, you know, you look so much better than any of my other patients. What are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm doing everything I can. I'm not just relying on the medicine. And so um, thankfully, you know, um, was cured, but it changed the way I looked at food. And I just wanted, I've always loved delicious food. Family dinners are so important to me. It's, you know, me and my friends make dinners all the time together. And I was like, I am going to take cooking classes and become a really great chef, um, so I can make delicious food forever, right. and I felt like it was really easy to make you know most of your meals healthy. I mean, there's so many delicious yeah. vegetables and greens and proteins, but dessert, Dessert's dessert, yeah, dessert is, and I have such a sweet tooth, yeah. And there just was nothing, and I was just so sick of just like dark chocolate and like a yeah. handful of almonds and a pear or like yeah right. a date. I was like, come on, <laughs> yeah, I want to live life, like yeah. I want to be able to feel like I'm really indulging, yeah, but with. Ingredients that don't give me like this huge sugar high, sugar crash, yeah. or make me feel sick. Yeah. And every time I indulge in something artificial or it's super just, refined flowers, yeah. and I I felt terrible. Yeah. I always regretted it, and I was like, there has to be another way. So I took that same mentality of just eating. As whole unprocessed ingredients in you know my meals to baking, right? And became obsessed with it because it became my creative outlet. And instead of painting, I was basically making recipes. Yeah, it's so funny. You are not the first guest that thought of baking as as a
2: creative outlet. I, it, we've had other like painters or sculptors right. or yeah. you know, photographers. And then did you? I mean, obviously, it, it's amazing that you know you had your full recovery and you were now sort of like but was there a moment where you were kind of like well now what oh absolutely i, I mean, mean did
3: you know did i did not know what i was going to do with my life right. at all i mean and you had a year where you were come you were just totally focused on having a life totally and then I mean, the year—you know—that year of going through treatment, I felt like I was in a black hole. Yeah. like nothing else mattered. I feel like I barely spoke to anyone besides yeah. like my immediate friends and family. I just was trying to survive. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden you, you get this like, okay, you're here you ready go. to go now. You're ready to go yeah. now. Be normal, and you're like, yeah. can't be normal again. No. Like I am totally fragile and freaked out, and I don't know what I want to do with my life. And yet I also realize how valuable and precious life is, and I don't want to waste it. Yeah, so I need to live life a hundred percent. And, um, I. I think I just dealt with those emotions for a couple of years, and yeah. I I tried. So I didn't. So I, didn't, I stayed in New York. So what went, year was this? So this is so two thousand seven. I was basically cured after okay. that. So two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? Um, two thousand ten. I was just yeah.
2: You're. Um, I mean, it's weird. It, I mean, I I obviously can't imagine that, but I've had trauma, and it's almost like you know that you're supposed to be fine now. And yet you don't feel fine. And then you feel kind of guilty for not feeling fine and not embracing everything. But you're tentative about Absolutely. everything. So Abs- you had a few years in New York where you were baking. But were you thinking this is going to
3: be my business? No, or? not right. at all. This was just like such a fun side hobby. Yeah. I I really thought I really wanted to be in, I don't know, do something that I felt really, really good about and yeah. something that... Um, you know, I felt like I got all these talents and education and I needed to like put it to use, yeah. but I didn't know what it really meant. Right. So I tried to get a corporate job, but after <laughs> after going through all of That's that- That's going to be ex- life affirming. E- exactly. Right. <laughs> but then after going through all of that and um, and also just trying to interview it, I just felt soulless. Like yeah. I just didn't connect with, so I tried to work for a PR company. Mm-hmm. I thought that you know, I wasn't happy there. I worked for actually a wine company um, mm-hmm. because every time I was around food or wine, it, it just – it celebrated life. Mm-hmm. It, it, it always made me happy. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't really get behind wine right. as much as food. And then I just had continued to bake on the side. And it was yeah. really the reaction of all of my friends. Like yeah. I was always baking new recipes or new flavors. So like every dinner party or friend's house on the weekends, I was just was always bringing food around. Yeah. And it was the reaction of my friends that was just like – This is amazing. Like, can you please do something with this? And, um, and that's when I just knew I needed to do something. So, like, about two thousand ten, I entered a baking contest and won. Okay, what baking Uh, um, contest? It was just like a charity baking contest in the Lower East Side. But But that's great. But it was great. Um, and I was the only one doing anything natural or different, and I won. And the judge came up to me and was like, you need to do something with this. Huh. Um and Gina De Palma was the judge. She uh-huh. was the, you know, pastry chef of Babo. Yep. And just she just was so um so supportive and she was so talented. And and I just, you know, something just clicked in my brain where I was like, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. Like I have a gift, I have a passion. And I also am like looking around and no one else knows how to bake with these natural ingredients. Right. Like the world needs more of this. Yeah, certainly not for the grocery. You oh, know. absolutely. I mean, which not. I guess took a little while probably you, to figure out. Absolutely. Yeah. I was definitely early to market with the concept. <laughs> yeah. But um now thankfully the market has caught on. But Yeah. And so I, and then I started to study the food industry just because my family was not in it. I didn't Mm -hmm. know anyone in the food industry, but when, you know, when I wanted to just go get like cookie dough in the supermarket and there was nothing that was really delicious or made of good ingredients and then to study the, you know, the brands that are out there and who they're owned by, Uh that just infuriated me. I just got a fire in my belly from that because I just uh, You know, when you don't know anything about the food industry, you just walk into a supermarket and you're like... You have no idea. You have no idea. You're just like, I want this and this and this looks great. When you know, you know... That they're all owned by the same eight companies. Exactly. And you you know their intentions (laughs) and their practices and you're like, wow. Yeah. I can't even eat anything in here. Right. And by the time I have kids one day, there should be so many great brands out there that I like can't even decide what to buy.
2: And this was around, I mean, Michael Pollan, I remember Omnivore's Dilemma, I think came out in two thousand and ten. So this was all around the time Mm -hmm. where people were starting to think, hmm, maybe this industrialized food system isn't so great, not only for our health, but for the environment and certainly not for like people growing, you know, actual edible crops as opposed to sort of, you know, commodity crops, all that stuff. More transparency. So then were you
3: like, okay. Here I go. So I was like, okay, what does this mean? I'm going to start a company. I kind of had the idea. I'm going to start a company. Um, it wasn't called Sweet Lawrence yet, but I had that right. concept. Um, 2000, kind 2011, of 12 is when I, I created the name Sweet Lawrence. Right. And I took a business writing course to figure out what Sweet Lawrence would be. Right. Because was it going to be a consumer product in a right. supermarket or was it going to be a bakery? Yep. Um, and that's when I started writing. Like, kind of just looking at different business models and thinking about like genuinely, how do I want to spend my time?
2: Yeah, and that's a really good question too because, you know, I don't... First of all, when I when we started The Sauces, I had the advantage of having like six years in a hospitality sort of... Like
3: learning it, watching yeah. it, yeah.
2: But I had no experience obviously and still don't have a ton in CPG, but there are very different models. Absolutely. And if you can make a product that works in grocery stores that you can scale that you can sell a lot of it's a the I feel like the graph is very
3: different than like open a bakery here open a bakery there 100% bakery I mean there. I used to work at Levan Bakery mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and um, that's where I really fell in love with like just fresh baked goods and how they make people feel yeah. and um. Yeah. I just, I thought, okay, like I could open a bakery, but rent is so yeah. scary. How, yeah. are you, how do you know you're going to make that every yep. month when you're just beginning? And then two, I don't want to be stuck in that square footage totally. every day. I want freedom. I'm yep. actually starting my own company for the purpose of freedom. Amazing. And then the third thing was I want to reach as many people as possible yep. and like change the food industry. Yep. So that means I need to create a product yep. that can be shipped pretty much anywhere so for all those reasons i i went for cpg so we're gonna take a little break and when we come back we're gonna hear like how
2: you actually got it off the ground and then what's happened in the seven eight years since we'll be right back
1: This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion, 63% of chefs feel depressed, and more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com.
2: I'm back with Lauren Brill, founder and CEO of Sweet Lawrence. Okay, so you're like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make a product. What was the, um, what, do you remember those first couple of years or the first steps you took? I mean, going from a, a cookie or several cookies that you were making in your kitchen is very different than making a product. With a shelf life, absolutely, that goes onto stores. So, so how did you even?
3: Yeah, so step? that so that business writing class I took. Um, this guy in my class named Corey. Uh, I'll just never forget him. <laughs> he he worked in Whole Foods. Oh my uh, gosh! Um, just well, that's amazing. Just yeah. um, he had a dream to start his own you know business, uh-huh. but he just worked to make money at Whole Foods restocking right. the shelf. So, I asked Corey one day, "How do you get into Whole Foods?" Mm-hmm. And he was. Just really helpful and was like, let me talk to my manager and I'll let, I'll let you know. And I was <laughs> right. like, awesome. This then, was before you had a package. This was or before a name I had anything. Or, or, right. I mean, no, I had a name, but like the website said coming soon. Right. Like I had no idea what I was really yeah. doing. And so he called me the next day and was like, you have a meeting. Oh my gosh. On Wednesday with the head buyer of the Columbus Circle Whole Foods. And I was like, <laughs> Corey, like I'm not <laughs> even prepared. This is like so embarrassing. But He was like, Lauren, just go and tell your story because I always brought cookies to the meeting. He's like, everyone loves your products. So just get like, at least understand how you get in there. And I was like, you know what? That that was a big aha moment of if I'm going to start my own business, I need to be 100% responsible for the success of it. No (laughs) one is going to go to this meeting for me, is going to make this happen. If if I am choosing to be an entrepreneur, then I'm going to 100% take a chance of every meeting, talk to anyone, and just take responsibility for yeah. this happening. And so I took the meeting and I, I went, you know, I tried to be as professional as possible. I came with 12 different flavors of cookies Wow! That I like wait, spent two days, like I perfecting mean, yeah. all of this, came up with a one pager that explained, you know, my story and could, yeah. the type of ingredients I use yep. and my beliefs. And, you know, I was, you know, made it really professional. And then I met with the buyer and we really hit it off. And he loved the samples. And he said, what can you make? And I said, I can make anything. Right. And I just had that confidence that I would figure it out. And so I said, where do you think would be the best product to start? Mm -hmm. And so we walked around the supermarket. This is amazing. And we looked at... Frozen cookie dough. Right. We looked at refrigerated cookie dough. We looked at baking mixes. We looked yep. at ready-to-eat packaged cookies. Yep. And we kind of settled on frozen cookie dough because s- frozen, you have a year shelf life yep. or something. So if you're just launching, mm-hmm. you know, it seems safer. You know, baked cookies because I had no preservatives or anything. Yeah. You know, they, they didn't have taste a shelf life of a day. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I don't. These aren't. I don't want someone to eat this in two weeks. Right. Like we want them to be fresh. And baking mixes um, just didn't move that fast. Right. And every time I bought a baking mix. I haven't been like so wowed that it comes out yeah. perfect. And Especially, so, I feel like with the whole grain flowers, they get a little bit yeah, musty, or, it, you know? It's, it's like just harder. Yeah. It, so I said, um, so the next day he called me and said, my whole team loved it. We've never tasted something so, so good. When can you get us cookie <laughs> dough? And <laughs> right. I started crying. I mean, yeah. I'll never forget the moment. And I told him it would take a month. I literally thought in my head I could, like, find a factory, design packaging. Because, uh-huh. like, I had the Figure recipe, out distribution, yeah, right, in that. my kitchen. Yeah. Like, how hard could it be to scale? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it took seven months. Yep. Um, but I just jumped in. I took, you yeah. know, full responsibility of figuring it out. I found a small factory in upstate New York to start producing it. And... Um, got it into Whole Foods and Amazing. basically was only in Whole Foods in a couple stores in New York City right. for basically one year. And I was that girl demoing it. Yep. I mean, I was a one woman show, right? And it was miserable when I think back to yeah. those times. Like it was <laughs> like fun, exciting, but like it was such hard work because yeah. I just was working seven days a week. Well,
2: I was talking to someone today and I, I think you know, I I people who listen to this hear me say it a lot. Like I had a thing with my kids. Yeah, you know, I have five kids. That's and amazing. I've always sort of said like their assets are their liabilities and their liabilities are their assets. Like the same thing that makes them a go-getter totally. and a tough cookie. The flip side of that is that they don't necessarily think they need to follow the rules or whatever it is, right? Absolutely. Same thing with like you're kind and you're gentle. The flip side of that is sometimes you get walked on a little totally. bit. So I feel that way about businesses too. I feel like that way about everything mm-hmm. in life, but yeah. the, you know, the, the good part is also the bad part and the good part of being of, I mean, one of the good parts of being a CEO or starting your own company is that you get a crash course in business, finance, team building, you know, HR,
3: Branding, marketing, marketing sales, everything. distribution, especially, production, operations, absolutely. Like supply chain, everything. 95 things. I mean, and especially with food. I mean, if you have a service business, it's very different. When right. you're creating a product, all of a sudden you're managing a factory and production, yeah. safety, quality, yeah. packaging, yeah. shelf life. I mean, it's a whole other thing yeah. than just creating a business or service for someone. Right. So. um, yeah, and but it was amazing. I mean, that year that I was sampling it was like gold. Yeah, cause cause I you got everyone's I, everything. I, exactly, I yeah. was hearing what people loved about the product, and I heard enough. Oh my god, this is amazing. This and is brilliant. And what was what what. W- Cause I, it's different now. Definitely. So the original recipe was was really just natural cookie dough. So it was all non-GMO. It was it was non-dairy. It was whole grain, but we used some egg and some wheat. Right. Um, And so you know the goal was just to make a healthier version of cookie dough that people could feel good about. But when I was starting to sample it, um, you know I I would hear, my kid has a nut allergy. Can you make you know a nut-free version or You know, I'm staying away from gluten or I'm gluten-free. Like, can you make a gluten-free version? Or I have an egg allergy or I'm trying to be vegan. So you basically had to make cookies with no ingredients.
2: Well, exactly, with with (laughs) air. It's delicious air in a package. Amazing air. And what was that R&D process like? I mean, first of all, I get calls all the time. I think one of the things that I hear most as a hurdle is a co-packer that will take you when you don't have volume, but you need to get out there. So were you able to work with someone because you had a little bit of Whole Foods rah-rah behind you? Yeah.
3: I mean, man, it it has been a journey. I mean, I have switched to four different factories. Yeah. So that's been the process. Um, So, you know, we would grow. I mean, we've grown every year, right? We've kind of more than doubled every year since I've started. So it was always like there was this momentum, but it started so small. It was just me and this deep belief in it and the market kind of growing into something else as well, yep. you know, and catching up to us. So, so starting that first factory, um, spend a year, you know, kind of getting feedback, realized this factory didn't specialize in cookie dough. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I needed to go to a factory that really had efficiencies with cost of goods and yep. also specialized in kind of portion sizing it so that you could just bake off one or two at a time, Right. switch to a different factory. Um, then, I found like one of the largest factories in North America to take us on. Um, you know, I started to get a lot of press. I was on the Today Show. Right. Um, I was, um, Marie Claire picked me as top entrepreneur. And so thankfully, all these little press hits actually made us seem, you know. Bigger than you were. Exactly. Bigger than the revenue. Yeah. Um, and that's when we switched to refrigerated packaging. So we switched to being found in the dairy section because that's when I saw, like you can't be sold frozen. You have to be sold refrigerated and cookie dough because that's where the consumer's trained to go. Yeah. And so what are you next? I mean, in a Whole Foods, they don't have like the Nestle or the Pillsbury little... Right, but we're in the dough section. They do have... They do. Yeah, they do have like some other cookie doughs or, or, you know, the canned dough there. So okay. kind of buy like the milk and the eggs and the right. dough. Um And then on my first meeting... With Publix, I got in full distribution. Wow! And so they really launched us nationally. How many stores is? Twelve hundred stores. Wow! And, and
2: what did I mean? That's a that's so I'm I'm almost like gun shy about that kind of thing, right? Because I feel like how do you support twelve hundred stores as a small business? How did you even? How did people know you were there? And how did? Yeah. You know?
3: I mean, you know, I think I got to a point where. You know, I so believed in Sweet Lawrence, but you know, it was at this tipping point of I don't want to be a small company. I'm right. going to die actually as a small company yep. because financially nothing makes sense. But also, I'm not even achieving my goal of like changing the industry and building yep. a brand name. So, like, it's go big or go home. Yeah. And so, um, I actually met Hamdi, the founder of Chobani, uh-huh. and he was such a fan and so supportive. I met him at like a trade show, and I went to dinner with him and his team, and. Um, I met some people from his team and they had me speak at, they they did like a women's leadership conference and and they had me speak on it on the panel. And, um, you know, someone from the team um, who's now our VP of sales Ah. was just really supportive and helpful and was like, you should pitch uh, Publix because they don't charge slotting. Right. And I was like, okay, that's brilliant. Yeah. What's slotting, I had no idea. Uh Yeah. Uh Remember, Matt, when you didn't know what slotting was? Remember?
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's not on the right headphone. I, y-
1: yes, I, I remember but that. But you gave me
2: a hard time for using the word slotting, and now you know what it means. Slotting, now,
1: now I've learned that. You know, <laughs>
3: it's crazy expensive, and yeah. that's why a lot of small companies in food can't right. get on the totally. shelf and win. So I was like, how do I just break into this system? There has to be a way. And right. so um, – you know, so we we got on the shelf in Publix, and then um, and also by the by the time I was at this other huge factory, if I didn't come to them with big right. volume, what the hell are they doing exactly. with exactly? So um, I knew I had to win for all of us, right. and so then we um, my meeting with Kroger got into all Krogers yep. and. Um, and that's when I brought on um, that, VP, that yeah. VP of sales who she'd already left Chobani um, and she really wanted to build a company again. She, yeah. you know, and so um, brought on her and a COO and, you know, started to really be able to afford and right. build a real team, a, a real team yeah. that could really help me. And um, so then we were really sold nationally, you know, in thousands of supermarkets and, yep. and also the industry has continued to change and plant-based became a bigger need. Yeah. Um, and so,
2: I mean, every one of... Now, almost,
3: if you're not a gluten-free product, you shouldn't innovate. Well, or, you know what exactly. I mean? like, there's it, like
2: no. Exactly. Yeah. It's like,
3: and people, and you just see that people just want to share the same food. Like yeah. if you genuinely have someone who's gluten-free in the house, like they don't want to be eating the weird food. Right. They just want to eat the same chips you're eating yeah. and it just happens to be gluten-free. So I got just really passionate and... Um, started to create a recipe because I just saw so many people that couldn't eat our product. And my whole goal is yeah. to feed more people. Yep. And, you know, I love recipe testing. I mean, it took hundreds of batches, but I finally got to the point where I remember giving the sample to our VP of sales and she, she actually started to cry. Like she teared. She was Aww. like, this is gluten-free. Yeah. Like if she, cause she hated gluten-free products. So you would, you would mess around in your kitchen and then
2: bring I do
3: it, I do all right. my recipe development in my kitchen. In kitchen. And kitchen. then, um, but then I had to find a factory you know, and it couldn't be that same it, factory no, because they, weren't, they certified. weren't certified. yeah. So that was a whole nother thing. And then found a factory, and um, you know they'd never even done cookie dough before. But we, right. you know. Uh, we we worked together yeah. and really became partners and um launched so launched in Publix, you know one skew, chocolate chunk of our gluten-free vegan nut-free version So you have
2: and it's all place and bake. It's all place I and I love bake. I've never heard the expression place and bake but it makes so now that I know what it is I'm like obviously, obviously this is it makes so much sense. You know
3: yeah. it's already portioned in little right. you know portions so you can just open the package and make one or two even in your toaster so oven. So you have and a, we also have edible cookie dough now in jars. Oh, that's exciting. Which is super delicious and exciting exciting. It's wow. like super creamy and amazing. Mm. So yeah, but our whole product line is cookie dough, sold refrigerated. But and do you keep, did you keep the old SKUs no, or you replaced no, the whole are line all with the new... Yes. Yeah, so yeah. so once we launched one SKU of gluten-free, um, it became our number one SKU overnight. Right. And then just the writing was on the wall. It yeah. was just like, why... Uh, there's not that much room on the shelf. Yep. I just want to create the cleanest most delicious brand. Yep. It happens to be gluten-free. It should be plant-based because it's more sustainable yep. and you know, we all know that, you know, more plants are better yeah. for you and as long as taste is just as delicious, yeah. you're not compromising anything. Right. And then the fact that it's nut-free, like I personally love you know peanut yeah. butter and nuts, but the truth is, like this product is now so safe for families and or schools. kids and schools. Yeah, why not do yeah. that?
2: So, were you nervous about losing shelf space at all as you um, switched over? Or every buyer was like, "Fine, just do a swap." I mean the data
3: set at all. Right. So every, and did you have to do UPC? T- new yes, UPCs brand new. For it's right. a, yeah, it was yeah. brand new. But I think also, um, and so we've iterated our packaging. So we have brand new packaging that's launching, you know, beginning of February that we just debuted on the Rachel Ray show last yeah. week because... Um, it's interesting The the first gluten-free packaging really yelled gluten-free and yeah. vegan because we really wanted to catch the consumer. But what we've continued to hear over the last you know year or two is, you know, maybe I'm not gluten-free or vegan. I just want to eat delicious. Yeah. And so you're like gluten-free and vegan unfortunately still doesn't equal delicious to yeah, most people. So yeah, our else. new packaging it's really about like delicious first our brand first our promise that we will always craft every recipe with unbelievable taste but only clean ingredients. Yeah. And by the way, it's just gluten-free and dairy-free yeah. and vegan and nut-free. It's awesome. I mean there's so many lessons I think that people can take
2: out of this aside from just the sheer like grit of Hustle. Hustle and powering through. And, you know, it's funny today, we're going to Expo West, and my head of brand was like, you know, I really, I know you're not a fan of it, but I really would like you to do the um, pitch fest or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, the slam, pitch slam. Mm -hmm. And honestly, just saying pitch slam makes me (laughs) have, like, like a yucky (laughs) feeling in my body and, like, want to cry. Um, But it's funny because, as you said, like, your job as the founder is to do every single thing you can
3: for this product and for your team as uncomfortable as it might make you. You have to continue yeah. to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And the thing that I just keep learning is every time I put myself in an uncomfortable situation where I'm like I hate I'm like I hate that I don't want to do that. Guess what? After yeah. you do it one or two times. Yep. It's not that bad anymore. Yeah. You, like you learn, it's yeah. muscle memory. Like it's yeah. not that scary, yeah. um, and you don't usually throw up and pass out at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Right. So that's good. So at least <laughs> I have remember that. Going for Just me. remember right. that. Yes, I do. I'm like very rarely have I ever seen anyone vomit and pass <laughs> once out in a million simultaneously. It might <laughs> so and if that does happen, they'll feel so it's bad for story. me that I'll win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's lesson number one. But I think also lesson number two is what we went. You know what I said in the intro. Which is, you were doing fine. Listen, doubling sales every year is great.
3: Not on the same trajectory as now you are. Because of that skew change. And really positioning ourselves in a way that um, no one else can really copy. You know, like we own a certain landscape and people and we really solve a certain problem. But that took you refining and understanding and listening the and, market right. and tweaking and constantly tweaking. Yeah. The, where is the market going? What are, what is missing in the market? You know, when, when we were just kind of like a natural cookie dough and wasn't, it was differentiated for sure from the, from competition, but not enough to demand a certain price point. Right. You know, we always were getting compared to like the healthier version of a conventional product, right. even though we were such a different, you know, right. recipe and brand. Um, and I, you know, I'm just so happy that we really own our own space now, yeah. um, and we're really solving a problem.
2: Well, I think I was um, I was just reading an article. One of my investors is is are the former founders of RX Bar. Cool. And um, they now have a an investment fund. And his whole thing, Peter's whole thing is, if you're not solving a problem, y- you might be making a great product, but at the end of the day, like. The world doesn't really need, need another, pesto another sauce. good product. Exactly. 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 And so, you know, for us, like that's kind of the litmus. Like we stopped actually exactly making our pesto sauce, literally, because I was like, the world doesn't actually need another pesto sauce. And I'm not making a better version of this right. than what already exists. So we stopped it. Yeah. And we like, we focused that's on smart. things that other people are. And I think that, you know, if the people listening to this are kind of at the beginning of their founder journeys, make sure, first of all, I think the, the other lesson is like what you start with isn't ever what
3: you finish with. Totally. And B, I think the ones that survive are the companies that constantly, like, there's no way that whatever you create in your kitchen at that first version is what's going to be on the shelf forever. Like constantly make it better and learn. And listen, listen,
2: listen. Um, and make sure that you're not so much in your own silo of your own head and you're not so wed to your baby that you're not that you're not getting a little bit deaf to like
3: what consumers want and what consumers are saying. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, that that was another aha for me. It was like, if I'm going to create this brand, it's it's not even about me anymore. No. I'm creating this for millions of people out there. Yeah. So it doesn't really even matter if you I like maybe don't like a flavor. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. I love nuts. Like, who cares? Yeah. Like, this is about how do I help solve the biggest problem possible and, and really make a difference. And so it's all about listening, you know, and looking at data. So- Last couple questions, because I start to get the stink eye from the
2: man in the booth. Um, How have your goals changed? I mean, it sounds to me like you have had a very clear through line since day one, as many people as possible creating the best high quality product. Aside from that, the goals along the way, can you sort of speak to any shifts you've had, or even if you want to talk about data, like you didn't use data in 2012, you know? Right, absolutely. How are you using it now? Or, you know, what are your goals now, I guess?
3: My goals now are... You know, again, I created this company to make the biggest positive impact on the world, but also for me personally to be proud of what I'm doing with my life and have freedom. And so I think, you know, as I think about having a family, I'm getting married in May and, oh, you good. know, you know, I, I want kids and, you know, how to create a sustainable, great team um, so that... I can have it all. I can have yep. balance and I can have an amazing personal life and an amazing business and um, the pressure isn't all on me. Yeah. And then I think about the culture I want to build. Like I love our team so much and we've worked so hard together um, to build the culture and the attitude and find the right people. And so how do I just continue that and find the best talents and be a company that people are proud to work for, but also that they love, yep. you know, working for. So that's a constant, you know, To that process. end, is there
2: anything that you wish you had done earlier, because most people listening to this are, you know, early. mm mm-hmm. um, I think. <laughs> I yeah. Um. Although there was a review on iTunes from someone who's like, I have zero interest in food or consumer packaged goods. I just enjoy listening to the stories. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's
3: entrepreneurial Yeah, journey. I yeah. guess so.
2: Okay. So, but is there anything that you wish you had put into effect earlier? You could save founders a little bit of time or money, like anything you wish you had I done earlier? I think just having mentors
3: and coaches around is yeah. so important. Um, you get stuck in your own silo. You can get so overwhelmed and it's really important to find the smartest, most successful um, people out there that believe in you personally and professionally and yes. want to see you succeed because that just having someone believe in you gives an, you an unbelievable strength. And, and it's also just a really good litmus test on things. So you can make you know decisions faster and move on yeah. versus just like a circle in your own head. Should I do this? Should I do yes. this? So um, I think that's, Super important. Yeah. Is that what you would say would be your sort of best advice also? I I think that is my best advice. Yeah. And and I think staying healthy is my best advice too in terms of it's just very, very stressful and it's overwhelming and there's not going to be a clear path the second you start a company and even if you do think you're on a clear path, you know, things happen that are incredibly unexpected or you get competition or whatever might show up. So to me, like just finding healthy ways to manage stress mm-hmm. so that you can, every day is just kind of a new slate and you have a ton of energy to go after your problems um, is really important and, you know, to make sure that you you're maintaining balance as much as possible. I yep. mean, at the beginning, it's kind of ridiculous to say that yeah. because it takes over your life, but um, it's not sustainable. You can only do that for so long. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. So aside from the edible cookie dough jars, is there anything we should be looking out for in the next couple of months or a year? Well,
3: the exciting things our new packaging is launching February, yes. so check it's out our gorgeous. check out our website radios.com.
2: Not <laughs> the best,
3: place yeah, I know, to see it, but, but go right. to sweetlorens.com. Okay. You'll see it come February. Um, and we have four flavors, chocolate chunk, fudgy brownie, sugar cookie, mm. and oatmeal cranberry, and then yeah. we have two edible cookie doughs that come in a jar, a Amazing. birthday cake in a chocolate chunk so just watch them they'll be growing you know more across the country we just got Whole Foods nationally but we're in um, you know almost every supermarket and growing and if our local supermarket doesn't have it, then request it, please. Yes. But we're working on new products for sure. So I can't reveal anything yet, but um, we always like to hear from people too. So right. if you're someone that's like, why don't they come out with X, Y, and Z, Like, email us. I love hearing. Amazing. And um, yeah, and we're also doing food service. So we do our products in bulk and awesome. we sell them to restaurants and universities and schools. Perfect. So yeah, you know, amazing.
2: I'm so glad you're here. We could talk about like all of those things (laughs) for another 45 minutes or an hour, but I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you're well and your story is amazing and your product is delicious and good luck on your move and your marriage and everything. (laughs) And for listeners, um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. Thanks for listening.
3: Thanks so much. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast.